today and I want you to do something for me. Use your imagination and uh, go somewhere with me and I want you to picture yourself on an airplane this morning. Now, that might be a terrifying thought for some so let's picture yourself on an airplane outside of COVID. All right so either before or after all this is over you're on an airplane about to go somewhere exciting uh, and, and somewhere you want to go and somewhere you're looking forward to going and uh, maybe even have plans somewhere down the road to do this. But I want you to picture yourself on an airplane and I want you to answer this question in your own heart today. Which would you rather listen to while on board that airplane? Would you rather listen to the flight attendant going over the safety instructions, which includes uh, seat belts and oxygen masks that will drop from the ceiling and floating seat cushions, and if you're in an exit row, you can remove the door from the plane. Would you rather hear that? Or would you rather hear the captain telling you about the balmy weather and the temperature, perfect temperature, at your vacation destination where you're about to land. Which would you rather hear? Safety instructions or wonderful weather forecast for your destination? Well, I think most people would say, I'll take B, please. I'd much rather listen to the captain talk about the balmy weather, and I'm ready to go right now. Uh, but let me ask you another question. Which is more important? Which message is more important while you're on that airplane? Well, of course, the safety instructions, right? Because if you go down, you need to know what in the world you're supposed to do besides scream, all right? You need to know and have some instructions. And so I guess what I'm trying to say this morning with that little illustration is this. Some announcements are more pleasant to make uh, and hear and give than others. And the same is true with sermons. Some sermons are more pleasant to give 
and to hear and to receive than others. I'd much rather talk to you about the wonderful destination where we're headed. And we do talk about that from time to time as believers in Christ talk about heaven. And by the way, the temperature is perfect and the weather is perfect and everything's perfect. But today I've got to give you some safety announcements. And I've got to talk to you not about uh, seat belts and oxygen masks and floating seat cushions. No, it's much more serious than that. I've got to talk to you about someone who is literally hunting you down. Someone who wants to harm you, someone who wants to hurt you, someone who wants to ultimately destroy you. In fact, this person hates you. He not only hates you, he hates your spouse, he hates your children, your grandchildren, your whole family. He hates your church. He hates everything good in your life. In fact, he especially hates the God that you serve. He despises Jesus and regularly just blasphemes and mocks him. And I'm sure by now you've probably figured out the person that I'm talking about is none other than the devil himself. Call him by any of his names and the truth remains the same. He is your enemy, Christian, and he is out to destroy your life. Now, you might be wondering, why does Satan hate us so? I mean, why is it that Satan hates believers? Why is it that Satan hates Christians? As I was preparing for this message, I ran across something that the great author, Christian author A.W. Tozier wrote. And um, he gave uh, four reasons why Satan hates us as believers. I thought I'd give them to you real quickly today. First of all, uh, Satan hates us because we are loved by God. And whatever is loved by God is hated by Satan. Uh, so he hates us because God loves us. Secondly, he hates us because as a member in the family of God, we bear a family resemblance to the Father and to the household of faith. And whatever reminds Satan of God is something or someone that he absolutely hates. The third reason that Satan hates us so much is because a true Christian is a former slave who's escaped from the galley. Um, we've escaped from his control and his dominion, and Satan cannot forgive us for that escape. In fact, he hates us because we do escape. And then fourthly, let me just say that Satan hates us because a praying Christian, and I hope that you are a praying Christian, is a constant threat to the stability of Satan's government. Uh, Tozier said it this way, We're a holy rebel, loose in a world with access to the throne of God. And Satan never knows from what direction danger will come. And so because he knows that we have the ear of God, we have access to God, we can pray and our God answers and hears our prayers, Satan hates us because we're a threat to his stability and his government here in this world. Now, just knowing how much Satan hates you, I want to encourage you for the next few minutes uh, to lean in and listen closely as we add another verse that I believe that you need to know. And uh, we're doing a series right now called Verses You Need to Know. And I'm thinking about, particularly in the midst of the pandemic and COVID and the unrest, and we've looked at some wonderful verses. I hope it's been a blessing to you. But I want to add another verse to the list. And we're encouraging you to at least post these verses around and, and write them out and think about them through the week. Try to memorize them if you'd like. Uh, meditate on them. Think about them. But today I want to give you another verse. And uh, it's a verse that might seem a little unusual at first sight, but uh, believe me, it will make perfect sense, hopefully, if I do my job today, 
by the time we're through. Our memory and meditation verse this week is found in 1 Peter chapter 5, and it's this verse, verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, where the Bible says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Read that again. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Let me give it to you in a more modern translation, the NLT. Stay alert! Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now let me talk with you for a few minutes about our present reality. Our present reality. I need to remind you and remind myself, and we need this reminder often. Beloved, as Christians, we're not on a cruise ship. We're on a battleship. We're not on a playground We're on a battleground. We're not being pursued by a kitty cat. We're being pursued by a ravenous lion. I mean, look at that verse again, if you have your scriptures there in front of you. And notice it says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may gobble down, whom he may devour. Have you ever been up close, face to face with a lion? Now, I'm sure if you have, I'm assuming the majority here, and if you have actually been in a different situation, I'd love to hear your story. But I imagine the majority of us that have stood face to face with one of these big cats, uh, there would be some bars between it and us. There would be a fence. There would be an enclosure. There would be some reinforced, some sort of glass or plastic or something that we could see through, but that cat couldn't get through. But have you ever been face to face, real close to a lion? I actually went and I was going to pull down a video and kind of show a roaring lion. And I found the video, but it was terrifying. And I thought, I'm not going to show that because it scares me. I don't want to scare the children. But a roaring lion, a lion is something that's not to be played with. And we see people that do play with them and get in there and tame them and all. And, you know, there are crazy people in this world. And I guess, you know, some of them may go out rough way. But the truth of the matter is, there's something unsettling. If you've ever been face to face, at least it is for me, with one of those big cats, it's unsettling to look in its face. And you know why it's unsettling? Because that cat can kill you and eat you. I mean, that's an unsettling thought. Uh, and it says here that Satan is like that. He's roaring, he's walking about, he's hungry, looking for somebody to eat. It literally, that word devourer literally has the idea of gobble down or gulp down. Uh, Now, boys and girls, listen, it doesn't say that Satan is a lion. He's not a lion. He's like a lion. He's like a cat. Maybe we understand this way, boys and girls. Like a cat who catches the mouse and gobbles down the mouse. So Satan wants to catch us and gobble us down and destroy our lives. Now, listen, if you belong to Jesus Christ, if you belong to Jesus Christ, he cannot have your soul. But he wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your testimony for Jesus. He wants to destroy your witness for Jesus. He wants to destroy your marriage and your family to destroy the worship and honor you give to Jesus. He wants to destroy your church. He wants to destroy all the good things in your life. Erwin Lutzer said it this way, Satan's full-time occupation is making sin look good to us. 
Whatever lure he employs, it is a highly intelligent spiritual being who plots our downfall. His intention is to cause us shame and to neutralize our effectiveness for Christ. And so Satan has it out for you. And Satan has it out for me. And our present reality is this, that we are on a battleground today. And, and not only that, we have a real enemy, a real enemy. Satan would love for you to believe uh, that he really doesn't exist. Now, that's just, you know, imagination, make-believe. He would love for you to think that. He would be okay with you thinking about that he really is just a little man in the comic strips that has horns and carries around a pitchfork and has a pointy tail. He would love for you to think that about him. Um, but that's not what the Scripture teaches at all. The Scripture, of course, teaches that he is a person, not just the personification of evil. Uh, he's a created being. He was an angel that God created, a very high-ranking angel who rebelled against God. And um, it says here that he's walking about. You know, you look at the story of Job. I've been reading that uh, story in my uh, Bible reading in recent days. And, and you know, uh, when Satan presents himself to God, he says, where have you been? He says, I'm walking to and fro throughout the earth. And here it's interesting. It says that the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Satan is a created being. Um, he's an angel who decided to rebel against God. He held an angelic rebellion against God. Other angels likewise rebelled against God. That's where we get demons from. But realize that Satan is not, now listen, he's not all-powerful like our God. He's not all-knowing like our God. And he's not all-present like our God. It says he's walking about. But he is powerful. And he is smart. And he is cunning. And he is devious. The Bible says that he is a murderer. The Bible says that he's a liar. And it says, in fact, he's the father of lies. John chapter 8, verse 44. When we look at the Bible, you don't read very far before you bump into the evil one, to Satan, our adversary. He's the serpent in Genesis chapter 3. And he's the lion here in 1 Peter chapter 5. He's a real person, a real created being. Uh, not just our imagination, not just the personification of evil, not just an idea. He's an actual being. And our present reality is this, beloved. We have a real enemy. And not only that, we're in a real battle. A real battle. And it's a spiritual battle. Um, jot this reference down. Let me read it to you. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand against the wiles, the cunning, the trickery of the devil. Listen, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our true warfare is not against other people. It's not flesh and blood. It's a spiritual warfare, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Uh, Satan is the god of this world. The Bible calls him that little g, but he's the god of this world. He's the prince of the power of the air. And we're in a real battle with a real enemy. And, and as one noted, as I studied, beloved, the spiritual battle is primarily a battle for our heart and our mind. In fact, we see his influence very early on. When you see him tempting Eve there in the garden, it's a battle for the heart and the mind. When you go back to the early church in the book of Acts, in fact, let me show you a verse in Acts chapter 5. You remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira. You remember they sold a piece of property and pretended to give it all. They lied. And it's interesting because in Acts chapter 5 verse 3, it says, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart 
to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. And so it's a battle going on for our minds and our hearts. Satan is so bold and so devious and, and such a foe, he even tempted the Lord Jesus himself when Jesus was upon the earth. You can read about it in Matthew chapter 4. He used the same avenues on Jesus that he did on Eve. That is the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. We see that. And we know in 1 John it tells us that we're not to love those things. But what we find here that he brings temptation to the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. And just as he tempted Eve and he tempted Jesus, he comes tempting you and me. We're not immune to his trickery. We're not immune to temptation. We must deal with him and his attacks. As much as we like to, we cannot just ignore the enemy and hope that he goes away because he's going to be on the attack in our lives. He and his minions, he and his demons are active in our world. He's the God of this world. And so our present reality includes a real enemy and a real battle. So let's talk about something very important as believers, and that is our rules of engagement. Our rules of engagement. If you look back at this passage, I want to add the ninth verse. In verse 8, our verse this week, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Then notice verse 9, resist him, steadfast in the faith knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. It was no coincidence that we've been singing about um, battle today and the spiritual armor because we're called to battle and we have some rules of engagement. I want to give you three rules in particular in our time together today. Rules of engagement, real enemy, real battle. We're on a battlefield. Rule number one, sober up, sober up. Now, when I say sober up, you probably picture someone who's coming off the influence of alcohol. Uh, if you grew up watching, and um, like I did, and, and still love to do the greatest television program ever, Andy Griffith, you might think of Otis staggering in uh, and letting himself in the cell and laying there. Why? So he might sober up. We might have that picture in our mind. Uh, in other words, they've been under the influence of alcohol uh, they've been under alcohol's control, and so they have to sober up so they're no longer under the influence. Sober here, where it says, um, be sober, has the idea of self-control. Uh, your translation might have it this way, be sober-minded. In other words, you've got to begin thinking right about the enemy, our enemy. I don't know if you remember what Jesus said to Peter in the Gospel of Mark. I want to share it with you. Uh, but the truth of the matter is because it's a battle for our heart and our mind and our thinking. And even as believers, we can fall uh, victim to his influence in our lives. Uh, a very interesting passage. Here's what uh, Jesus said to Peter in the Gospel of Mark. I'm going to write this reference down. And I'm giving you a lot of references and reading it for time's sake today. But be sure you write them down and go back and look them up. Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 33 is a very interesting passage. It says about Jesus, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. And be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus is telling them about the cross and about the resurrection. Uh, in Mark 8, 32, it says he spoke this word openly. And then we have some words here that just kind of just boggle the mind. It says, then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Let me just put that again another way. Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him 
about his message of going to the cross and dying and rising again. And I don't know if you remember what Jesus said to Peter, but it was very strong words in Mark chapter 8, verse 33. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter saying, get behind me. Do you remember what he said? Satan. Get behind me, Satan. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. One author said at the time, Jesus' stern reprimand did not make sense to Peter. I mean, think about it. This is Peter. And he's trying to do what's right. He's trying to show love, I guess, for Jesus. You know, Peter was a lot like us. It was open mouth, insert foot, right? Don't you love Peter? But he thought he was doing what was right. But he said, this author said, Jesus' indictment presents a profound message for us. We can easily see that Peter had the wrong perspective of God's plan for Christ's suffering and death. And we must see how easily we can become an unwitting spokesperson for Satan. It's especially true when we lose sight of God's plan for us. This comes about when our focus is on our careers and our possessions and our security and the things of the world rather than upon sacrifice and service and proclaiming of God's message. And when Peter's focus shifted to his own desires and plans, Jesus rebuked him in order to get him back on track. And may our focus always be on God and his plans. May we never experience a similar rebuke from the Lord Jesus, because we could begin to be a spokesperson for Satan and not even notice it and not even know it. It's one of the great challenges of a spiritual battle is, is many times it's going on and we don't even realize that it's going on. And we're in the midst of it. We don't even realize we're in the midst of it. I could think of one of the great spiritual battles I had in, in, in the last, uh, well, I guess, year or so or a little over a year, maybe. And it was a spiritual battle, and it took me a little while to realize it was a spiritual battle. I was meeting with someone, and it finally, and I'm kind of there and processing what's going on, and then I'm kind of praying, uh, you know, not out loud, but from my heart, from my mind, and then I begin to realize this is a spiritual battle I'm in at the moment. And, and, and Satan, it doesn't matter if you're a believer, he'll use anyone that he can to bring dishonor and discredit to God and to blaspheme his name. And then he used Peter. And Peter, I think, thought he was doing right. And, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're talking like the devil because you're not wanting me to do the things that I am here to do to go against God's plan. And so we've got to sober up. We've got to be self-controlled. We've got to be sober-minded. We've got to think like God thinks. And to do that, we've got to be in the Word of God to understand what God's plan is, what God's Word says, and what the enemy is all about. So not only to sober up rule number one, rule number two, and by the way, some need this today, we need to wake up. We need to wake up. Look at our verse again. It says what? It says, be sober, be vigilant. To be vigilant. That means to be watchful, to be alert, to be awake. And by the way, I'm going to use Peter again because Peter knew all about what it was to not be vigilant and not be awake. Luke 22 this time, verses 31 through 34. And the Lord said, you remember, this is before Jesus went to the cross. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you. So we have a satanic attack. We have a spiritual battle going on here. He says to Peter, Simon, Peter, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you. Why? That he may sift you as wheat. By the way, Satan's plans for you are never good. He never has your best interest at heart. He's a liar. He's a murderer. He's wicked and evil and vile. Jesus said to Simon Peter, but I prayed for you. 
I prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Because Jesus knew what was going to happen. Peter's going to deny him. But he said to him, here's what Peter said. Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And by the way, I think Peter meant that when he said it. I don't think it was just blowing smoke. But Jesus knew. Verse 34 of Luke 22 says, Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny him three times that you know me. And you remember the story. They went out to the garden to pray and the Lord Jesus told them, Watch and pray. Be vigilant. Watch and pray. And what happened? Do you remember? They fell asleep. Comes back. They're sleeping, sleeping, sleeping. And of course, Peter denied the Lord and went out and wept bitterly. But that wasn't the end of his story, praise the Lord. The Lord forgave him, restored him, used him in a wonderful way. But it reminds us we need to be alert. We need to be awake. We need to realize the devil can strike at any moment. John MacArthur said he and his forces are always active, looking for opportunities to overwhelm the believer with temptation, persecution, and discouragement. You know, if there was a news report out this morning that a lion had somehow gotten loose in Anson County... He was seen in the Red Hill community. I imagine you would approach your car a lot differently this afternoon than you're probably going to do so. In fact, you probably pick up. In fact, you probably try to find the person you dislike the most and let them go out first, right? If they make it, then you'll try. But I got to remind you, there is a lion loose today. Not a literal big cat, but there's one like a lion, actually worse than a lion, and that is Satan himself. And he's walking about looking whom he may devour. So we better be sober. We better wake up. Better be awake. And then thirdly, we need to stand up. Stand up. Look at the verse. Look at verse 9 this time. Resist him. Resist him steadfast in the faith knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Notice it says that we're to resist the devil. We're to stand up to the devil. We're to stand firm, stand fast. Now, the Bible says there are some sins that we're to flee. Flee youthful lust. We're to flee sexual immorality. We're to run away from it. We see it in the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. There's some sins we're supposed to run away from. But when it comes to dealing with the devil, it doesn't say run away from him. It says stand up to him. James says it this way. James chapter 4, verse 7. You might want to write this in the margin next to 1 Peter 5, 8. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, I've got to point out something very important. 1, John, I mean, 1 Peter 5, 9 says that we're to resist him steadfast. It doesn't say, it doesn't say steadfast in your faith or my faith. It says, in the faith. We don't do this battle in our own strength. Notice it says in James 4, 7, it says, therefore, submit to God. Before it tells us to resist the devil, it says, submit to God. We don't stand in our strength and our faith and our power and our might and our wisdom. The devil knows the Bible a lot better than we do. He's been doing this a lot longer than we've been alive. And he's cunning and he's devious. And so we have to submit to God. We, we do it in the faith, in the power of God. You can put this reference down, Ephesians 6, uh, 10 through 18. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, we're to stand in the faith. I'm not going to read that passage for time's sake, but it's talking about the armor of God, putting on the armor of God. And it's not literal armor, it's the spiritual thing here. Arming ourselves, protecting ourselves, and taking the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and prayer. We're to stand fast in the faith. 
I've got to remind you that uh, though we're in a battle, on a battlefield with a real enemy and a real foe, he is a defeated foe. Christ has defeated him. Um, his days are numbered. He's going to spend eternity in the lake of fire. But at this present moment, while he's loose and about, he's doing everything he can to dishonor God and defeat his children and, and bring struggle and heartache and hardship to you and to me. But by the way, can I just remind you today that we're not alone in our struggle? I mean, verse 9 says, that knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. One of the things that the enemy wants to do is to isolate you and make you think you're the only one dealing with whatever it is you're dealing with. You're the only one having this battle, but it's not true. We're not alone. We're all in this battle against the enemy. And our rules of engagement are this. Sober up, wake up, and stand up. Not in our strength, but in God's strength. So the question is, what does this look like in day-to-day living? And I want to give you this and then we'll close. It may surprise you, but as I was studying, I ran across something that Billy Graham wrote based on this verse. And I copied it down and I want to share it with you. He said, your greatest contribution to God's kingdom work. So already our ears should be picked up. Our greatest contribution to God's kingdom work and to defeating the enemy's efforts against his kingdom. So what are those, those efforts to defeat his kingdom? Very simple things. Let me give them to you from Billy Graham. Number one is to keep up your daily devotions. Keep up your daily devotions. Devotions, quiet time, God night time, whatever you want to call it. In other words, there's a time where you get along with God and you hear from Him through His Word and you talk to Him through prayer. You've got to keep yourself in the faith, building yourself up in the faith. Stay in your devotions. Number two, live a clean, honest, humble, spirit-filled life. Live a clean, honest, humble, spirit-filled life. Because it's not in our power, it's the Spirit's power. We yield Him. As we're in the Scriptures, God tells us to do things. We obey. We're filled with the Spirit of God. Thirdly, he says this, trust God to guard and protect you morally, physically, and spiritually. We can't defeat the foe on our own. We've got to trust God to guard us. Part of the Lord's Prayer is what? And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. In other words, Lord, don't, don't let us be overtaken with temptation and, and evil, but, but deliver us from the evil. That is the evil one. He said next to openly witness for Jesus Christ. Openly witness for Jesus Christ. And can I just say to you, if ever there's a day we need to openly witness for Jesus Christ, it is today. Don't, he says, don't be a pawn of the devil, but a servant of Christ. He's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And I love what one author said, and we'll read it and pray. He said, a lion's roar can be heard up to five miles away and is intended to terrify all who hear it. If you've ever heard a lion roar, by the way, if you were out in the African uh, jungle somewhere and you were in a tent or a mud hut and you heard a lion roaring nearby, it'd probably terrify you. But listen, Lions roar to establish their territory and to communicate their power, but a roar can do nothing. It is a threatening but powerless unless we give it, give in to it to fear and allow that lion to over. They can roar and roar and roar, but he can't harm us if we do what God has told us to do. Our enemy, Satan, roars his threats, his doubts, and his accusations in an effort to terrify us into giving up. So he can defeat us. But even the threat of a roaring lion cannot overcome those who stand firm against him in the armor of God and in the faith of God. And so this week, I want you to think about 
You're in a spiritual battle with a real enemy. It's a real battle. But there's some rules of engagement. And it says in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, we ask for your help. We acknowledge we're weak and needy and we cannot handle this on our own. So, Father, help us to be sober. Sober up. To wake up and to stand up against the enemy and his trickery and his cunning. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's stand together and sing in closing the great hymn, Lead On, O King Eternal. As we think about the battle, but then think about the victory that is ours in Christ. Let's stand together and sing. Mm-hmm.